You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Hey everybody, Father Vasek here with you live from the University of Mary, Bismarck, North Dakota. Happy Easter! Easter Tuesday, or Easter Sunday, but commemorated on a Tuesday, or just Easter Sunday. I don't even know. It's confusing, but it's Easter. I know that. That's all I know is it's Easter. It is Easter today, and I'm so glad to be with you. I hope that the brightness of Christ, risen from the tomb, is shining upon you, bringing you every good gift from on high. The scriptures say that Jesus... Uh, in his uh, resurrection then ascended to the Father where he received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured him out upon us so in our Easter joy we can receive all the grace that God wants to give us from on high so praise the Lord Uh, did you know that you can listen to Real Presence Live and any of the daily programs you hear on the Real Presence Radio Network via our app simply go to the app store on your phone and search for Real Presence Radio Once downloaded, Real Presence Radio is accessible anywhere you are at any time. So if you don't have the RPR app yet, go to your app store now and download it as you can listen to our next interview, who are two of my dear friends. I am going to be joined with Scott and Lindsay Cleveland. They are affiliated with the Diocese of Bismarck, the City of Bismarck, the Cathedral Parish of the Holy Spirit and the University of Mary. So they're well connected here in the uh, Bismarck area. Scott and Cle- Scott and Lindsay, happy Easter and welcome to the show. Happy, happy Easter. Easter. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. So uh, Easter was weird this year, huh? <laughs> yeah. Very weird. <laughs> All right, before we dive into uh, our, what we want to talk about, which is um, the the life of grace and uh, the two of you having come from non-Catholic backgrounds and just the impact of uh, the Catholic understanding of Easter and the mysteries and all these other things that we'll talk about, introduce a little, a little bit about yourselves to us. Scott, why don't you go first? Sure. So I'm... Uh the Director of Catholic Studies and Assistant Professor of Philosophy at the University of Mary. As Father Vasek said, we're parishioners at the Cathedral of the Holy Spirit. Um, we've got uh, two children with us in home, one in heaven and one on the way. Uh, as a family, we enjoy hiking, reading to the kids, and teaching them the faith. We were received in the church about eight years ago. I'll let Lindsay call in some other details. <laughs> Great. Lindsay, t- tell us a little bit more about yourselves. Sure. So, uh, Scott and I both have doctors in philosophy. I was on the slow track finishing my degree while having kids, and I'm grateful to stay home with them while I do some writing projects from home and uh, enjoy particip- participating in Catholic Studies events that you marry. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. All right, so we want to talk about Easter. Uh, we're doing a lot of Easter programming on Real Presence uh, during this week in particular. So uh, we know, or I know, and now that our listeners know, that you are both converts to uh, the Catholic Church. You were both received into the fullness of the Catholic Church. Uh, so let's kind of dive into the story a little bit. What, uh, 
how were you drawn? Uh, what was going on? Uh, we only have 20 minutes, so you don't do, don't give us like the four hour version, but uh, give us a little bit of <laughs> give us a little bit of uh, what was going on here. Yeah. Well, of the three transcendentals, truth, beauty, and goodness, truth was dominant for us, both being philosophically minded. Uh, but beauty and goodness were certainly a part of it, too. But we both were from Protestant families and began to follow Jesus at a young age. We met each other after college in a Christian fellowship program. Uh, and it was an environment that focused on integrating faith in all areas of life. And our reflection there planted seeds for eventually becoming Catholic. We went from there to graduate school. My focus was in theology. And in my study, I encountered a great diversity of expressions of Christian faith and practice. And from traditional Christian to very unorthodox, people rejecting things like the trustworthiness of Scripture, Jesus' resurrection, and traditional sexual morality. And this was very unsettling to me. So uh, it, it began a real period of searching for the truth about Christ's revelation. Uh, over time, I recognized that my, my sort of naive Protestant view that the Holy Spirit would, would lead me on my own to the true inter- interpretation of Scripture regarding doctrine um, couldn't be true. I saw that even knowing the original language didn't resolve disagreements about significant issues um, between between Christians about what we should believe and how to live. So this began a long search uh, for me to try to figure out how to resolve these competing interpretations of Christianity and of Scripture. Um, So over the course of several years of theological study and beginning a, a PhD program in theology, I learned much about the history of scriptural interpretation and theology, and eventually there were there were three things that drew me to the church. Um, first was seeing that the early church held the capacity of the Eucharist and the relationship between scripture and tradition and the hierarchical structure of the church. Um, second, that the Catholic Church is unique among Christians in being consistent in its sexual morality, and I found this teaching on sexual morality to be beautiful and to cohere best with human nature and the gospel. And third, that the Catholic Church is also unique in maintaining a coherent and consistent set of beliefs and practices across time and space. So I reached a point of real intellectual conversion where everything I had studied for many years sort of came together, and I had this clear vision uh, of what church fathers and councils have called the mind of the church, of the church, this organic unity of belief and practice handed down by the faithful from the apostles through every generation until now. Lindsay, yeah. uh, thank you so much. Anybody who's listening right now is like, wow, that woman is very eloquent. She is very bright. She uh, is bringing this <laughs> together in such a clear manner. This, this is so great. Yes, everybody, Lindsay is awesome. Now you know why she, why I'm friends with her. Great. All right, Lindsay, thank you so much for that intro. Scott, whatever you want to uh, add on to that from your own background or just to uh, kind of dovetail off of what Lindsay has shared. 
Thank you. It was Lindsay's decision to become Catholic that prompted me to investigate the Catholic faith. <laughs> Initially, I sought to address the various objections I had to Catholicism. <clears throat> and then I began to assess the Church's overall credibility as a witness by studying the plausibility and coherence of the teachings. And, and in that study, I'd say many things drew me to the Church, but three of them were the wisdom of the Church and her teachings, <laughs> saints, and sacraments. And by wisdom and her teachings, I mean that I came to see in them a combination of fittingness, coherence, and beauty that had the marks of a tradition guided by God and not simply by a few brilliant minds. Mm. I was also attracted to the wisdom and holiness of her saints, most especially St. Thomas Aquinas. The unity and comprehensiveness comprehensiveness of his writing, as well as their evident integration into his life and deep love for the Lord, were really inspiring to me and gave me a great love for him. Finally, I was attracted to the wisdom of the sacraments, especially to the sacraments of penance and most of all the Eucharist. The sacrament of penance struck me as fitting to human nature and our need for assurance and forgiveness. Mm. And I was drawn most by the teaching of the Church of the Real Presence of Christ in the Eucharist. I was almost envious uh, of the privilege Catholics had to genuflect to Christ's presence in the Eucharist. <laughs> I had a strong desire to show Christ's reverence in this way, but I didn't yet have the assurance that he was truly present, but I was very attracted by it. Uh. <laughs> so I might summarize these by saying I was attracted by the joy of knowing the truth of the faith and not just having supported opinions about the faith, which is where I was largely before. Okay, let me go back over a couple of things that you've both shared. Um, Lindsay, you mentioned that you came from a that you both came from Christian homes. Christian homes meaning a devout, seeking the Lord strongly, or nominal Christian uh, from your from your individual backgrounds. Yeah, for me, um, we were regular church gro- goers uh, and prayed before meals, sort of basic Christian morality. My my first real sort of mature conversion experience was in high school when I realized that I was really um, despite regular church going and and uh, Christian morality missing the heart of the faith which is a friendship with with Jesus and so uh, in high school I, I started I went to just a deeper level of personal prayer and daily scripture reading and and then in college was involved with an evangelical campus ministry mm-hmm and Scott, uh, your your home life was nominal, or it was devout, or what? My home life was devout. We were taught from from as soon as I can remember that that Jesus was the Lord, and that we needed to live for Him above all things. And so we had a yeah, a real gifts in my parents who were who came to the Lord largely in college, and then really took their faith seriously and and did they their best to impart it to us. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening. This is Real Presence Live. Father Vasek, your host. I'm visiting with Scott and Lindsay Cleveland, associated with the uh, Cathedral of the Holy Spirit in Bismarck, North Dakota, and the University of Mary here in Bismarck, North Dakota. We're talking about their non-Catholic background, and then they're coming to the fullness of uh, the Christian life in the Catholic Church um, some decade ago. Uh, and I'm just I'm just quizzing them uh, on their history here for a little bit longer. Scott, you mentioned that um, there was an assurance that you were finding, um, and that 
there wasn't the same assurance in a way, or it was this assurance that you had been looking for. I'm not exactly sure how you said it. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I want to ask the question on this. Was it the case for you and Lindsay, if you want to answer it as well, but Scott brought it up, um, that were you recognizing prior to your seeking the Catholic Church or during your seeking uh, of the Catholic Church that you were longing for this assurance or did you feel that you had it and then when you were studying this you said you found out whoa there's a there's actually a pretty solid assurance here that is is just categorically different than the assurance that i've been experiencing which was nice but really i want this new one which is which is deeper I, this is the kind of the question that i'm yeah. having and i think the same yeah, question okay. with regard to uh the same question with regard to like the wisdom and coherence did you recognize that your your the life that you had been living didn't have that same coherence or did you think it was coherent and it was all there but then when you saw something even more it was just like okay i it was fairly coherent but now this is like this is like this is new you know so kind of both questions mm -hmm. both on assurance and on coherence or the different ways that you talk about it so scott go ahead sure so i i had assurance of something mm -hmm. but far fewer things than what the church claimed to be revealed by god and so Many of the things that the Church taught on, I would have probably thought of as a matter of theological opinion, something mm -hmm. that people can investigate and have various differing opinions on. Mm -hmm. And so what I was attracted to was the, the claim that I could know all of these things by faith, that I could have certainty in, in their truth, and it wasn't simply a matter of debate. So mm -hmm. trained as a philosopher, I really want the truth, but I'm, I was debating and debating and trying to form, you might say, more well-formed opinions about things, mm -hmm. uh, trying to reach knowledge of them. But but when when we receive knowledge, we receive the truth from God by faith. Then we don't have to do that work. We can we can receive it as a gift, and we can know it to be true because of God's revelation. Mm -hmm. And so I think what I was attracted to was that it was almost like sometimes we can now talk about the Catholicism as a is a philosopher's paradise or it's a, a philosopher's <laughs> heaven because yeah, there's sure. so many truths that you can have. Mm and you can have them with certainty because they're revealed by God, that you can't have uh, in a Protestant um, paradigm, a Protestant way of thinking, because the, the truth that the Protestants hold as revealed by God are, God are much thinner, or there's lots of contention over which ones ought to be included. And so that was attractive to me, and that's, that's what I meant by the assurance. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that there were some incoherences in my beliefs that came out in my study, uh, but I think I was largely attracted by the, the way in which the Church's teachings fit together in such a fashion that it struck me that it it wasn't just a, a result of a, hum, a, a kind of human deliberation, but it was God um, unfolding a, a, a deposit of faith. And so, and so that, I think, was mostly what I meant by that coherence of it being really attractive to me. It, it lended credibility to the Church's claim to be communicating God's truth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, Lindsay, anything that you would add to what, what Scott has shared here? Yeah, I would say that for me it was my it was my study and encountering lots of competing interpretations of Scripture and and Christianity that led me to realize that the evangelical Protestant interpretation that I had, I came with quite assurance um, or I had a, a lot of assurance, and that assurance started to dissolve as I realized this was just one interp one interpretation competing with many others. And even though 
there's the core, uh, you know, you might say the, the Nicene Creed, a clear core of, of Orthodox Christianity. As far as the sacraments, uh, the structure of the Church, those are the things that I came to see. Scripture does not resolve these things, and um, the the Church came before before Scripture, and um, yeah, and I think the, the assurance eventually that I found and and seeing across time uh, and space the unity of the Church's teaching testified to me of the Holy Spirit guidance of the of the Catholic Church and its teaching and protection and and then has given us you know assurance of its teaching and then and then of the sacraments of Christ's real presence uh, in the Eucharist especially um, yeah that assurance is is such a beautiful gift especially in this time uh, where we can't gather for mass mm-hmm. but um, we know Christ is there in the tabernacle. He's still there. The pews are empty, but the tabernacle's full, and uh, I find uh, just great comfort in that. Yeah. Yeah. Let me throw something at the two of you. Uh, a lot of people uh, will say, a non-Catholic person with regard to denominationalism or whatever else, they'll say, unity and fundamentals and uh, freedom of the rest. Uh, how how does that kind of phrase make you feel? <laughs> well, I think there's something true about it. The question is, what are the fundamentals? <laughs> there you go. That's right. what I was hoping for. I was hoping for you to say, well, what are the fundamentals? And, uh, <laughs> because as Lizzie was saying, well, you've got the creed. It's like, well, that's not in the scripture, the creed, but that is fairly fundamental. Right. So you, you hit it. We don't even need to comment on it more. There's more things we want to talk about. I just wanted to, I wanted to see if that's what you were going to say, Scott. That was great. Brilliant. Look at these philosophers on their feet early in the morning. <laughs> All right. So um, briefly touch, because there's a couple more things I want to talk about, briefly touch upon uh, sort of, let's say, the moment or the the sort of uh, hinge or the, the lock or the key or the whatever it was that you were like, yep, time to be a Catholic. Yeah, well, for me, so I explained this, this intellectual conversion that, that happened for me. Uh, and then soon after that, I was feeling really drawn. This was all through my study. Uh, I was feeling really drawn to go to Mass. And, well, I was drawn to Catholic spirituality, and out of the blue, one of Scott's friends invited us to Mass. Uh, and I'd only been for weddings, you know, a few times in my life. So we went, and I was just immediately, um, I knelt before Mass began and was moved to tears just mm. by a profound sense of Christ's presence in the tabernacle, and that it was to his presence in the Church that he'd been leading me through all my Years of restless study. Um, yeah, so my sense was really confirmed there, and then soon after we met with a priest, and she asked me about how I was thinking about the Church. The words that just naturally came were, I trust the Church. And that was sort of the moment that it was clear mm-hmm. I was going to become Catholic. Yeah, beautiful. And Scott? So I had become convinced of the Church's teachings as at least probably true, but a priest who was mentoring me pointed out that a probabilistic judgment wasn't the same as faith, and so I began to pray for faith. And I believed that faith involved certainty, and that God had to give me such certainty. Uh, 
And so I was praying for it, but then I realized I was confused, and the moment of con- uh, realization came at Mass. Uh, it was during the Gospel. It was uh, Matthew chapter 8 recounted the story of the centurion who was praised for his faith because he didn't see Jesus touch his servant, or he didn't need to see Jesus to touch his servant to believe that Jesus could heal him. And I realized that uh, by waiting for God to give me the certainty of faith, when I had enough evidence to judge that the Church was credible, I was acting not like the centurion, but like St. Thomas the Apostle, who had to touch Christ's wounds to believe Christ was risen. And I, I recognized in that moment that I was basically waiting and, or requesting of God a special revelation to show me that our Church was the mediator of His revelation, to see for myself, as it were. And while God could grant such things, Jesus had said, Blessed are those who believe but have not seen. Mm-hmm. And so, I, and that, at, that, at that point in Mass, I understood God to be saying, Blessed are you if you choose to trust my revelation through the Church when you have sufficient evidence to do so, and without waiting to be granted a special privilege. And so, at that moment, I recognized I was in a position where it was reasonable for me to trust the Church, and, and so I did. And we were received in the Church soon after. Mm-hmm. And, and after... I was confirmed and received my first communion by God's grace. I did feel the complete peace and certainty I'd been waiting for, uh, and since then I've never doubted. <laughs> oh, fabulous! I love it. That's so good. Okay, so we want to say something about Easter, even though I love just hearing about your histories and uh, your walk with the Lord. Um, what about? So we're in the. We're on Tuesday of, uh, of the octave of Easter. Uh, d- does anything change? Had, has anything changed in your understanding of Easter or celebration of it or liturgical celebration of it? Uh, having been not Catholic and now Catholic, is there, or maybe it's just like, no, it's the same, which is beautiful. It's the same. That's great. Or it's like, no, 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 it's different. Or there's some things I miss about something. Or there's some things I like about this. Or just uh, what, what do you have to say about uh, Easter as a convert? Yeah. Easter became the great feast of all feasts in a new way for us. Mm. Uh, I think in part because it linked up the Last Supper and the Resurrection in a way that we hadn't appreciated. And it was a celebration um, that united us to the Church and her saints uh, in a way that wasn't entirely different, but to entirely but truly enhanced, I think, our past experience, at least my past experience. Uh, the, and the way we celebrate Easter as Catholics in the liturgy in the time span of 50 days, that was totally different. It yeah. wasn't simply Easter morning and then moving on, but 50 days of feasting, uh, and in continuity with the Church throughout history and throughout the world. Yeah. That, was a, that was a totally new joy for me and for both of us. Mm-hmm. And in our first Easter, uh, in the Church never since, We've especially appreciated, in a way distinct, I think, from our Protestant years, the communion of the saints, the reality of their nearness to us and their ability in Christ to aid us in growing and deeper loving union with God. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Lindsay, anything to add? Yeah, well, I'll just say that we celebrate um, this Easter in a unique way with everyone, uh, both... Yeah. The suffering of of the pandemic for us two weeks. Our, our daughter, Teresa, was still born last September. So this year it was an even deeper connection to the sorrow of Good Friday and mm-hmm. Holy Saturday. Mm-hmm. 
and the great hope of our resurrection with Christ in the future. Mm-hmm. And something that was has been really rich since becoming Catholic is is just the wealth of Catholic uh, understanding and practice of uniting our sufferings to Christ and and learning how to fill him with his love in the midst of our suffering. And of course, as long as we remain on earth, and we know this year especially, our, our Easter joy is mingled with sorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think to something I've been uh, just blessed to learn is just to embrace them both, the sorrow and the joy, and to let Jesus comfort us in our sorrow and, and, and so increase our joy. Yeah. Um, Scott and Lindsay, thank you so much for being with us. We have less than a minute, so I'm going to again one last thought from only one of you. So whoever has a last thought, uh, you're going to have to battle for it real quick and give it to me so we can uh, continue with the show. <laughs> well, I would say to those who have not been able to enter the church yet and are waiting, uh, remember that that uh, Jesus said scholars must take up their cross and follow him. This is the cross Jesus is asking you to bear, but he will help you to bear it, make him more like yourself. And as you as you wait, I encourage you to embrace the beautiful devotion of spiritual communion. Try to stream daily mass as much as you can, and visit Jesus in the, the tabernacle. and And know that um, trust in God's timing. I've always found it better than my own expectations, and He knows what He's doing, and He'll mm-hmm. bring you in in His good timing. Amen. Scott and Leslie, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Father. God bless. They have a book that they're in, Faith and Reason, Philosophers Explain Their Turn to Catholicism, edited by Brian Besong and Jonathan Fuqua from Ignatius Press. You might want to check it out. Up next, we're going to talk about how to celebrate Easter with your family. We'll be with Monsignor Richter of the Bismarck Diocese. That's another great hour of Real Presence Life to come. Stay with us. Stay with us.